Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 52 of the podcast. I am your host, Maddie Moon, and today we have an excellent show with the beautiful Isabel Fox and Duke. If you heard the earlier episodes of the podcast, you will hear me and Isabel chatted up in, um, let's see, episode number three of the podcast. She was um, my third guest, and it was an awesome interview. And she's back again for 52. Um, Isabel Fox and Duke focuses on the relationship between food, the body, and the mind. She helps women to stop being crazy about food and weight. She is a certified health coach and emotional eating expert. And Isabel also teaches women how to make cho- make choices around food effortlessly without obsessing, counting calories, or binge eating throughout the night. She knows that all women can have the lives they dream about, a life that does not include weight obsession, food restriction, low self-worth, and body shaming. Isabel is a leader in the field of body positivity. I was telling her before we started the show that I typically keep a, um, I keep a list of questions that I really want to ask guests, and a lot of them are just for Isabel because I can't think of anyone that can really explain such heavy topics as well as she can. So I'm just so thoroughly happy to have her on this show today. I think it's a real treat. If I if I ever were to say that I had a podcast that was a treat, today would be the one because we're going to be talking about some pretty insightful, deep topics. So stick around for that. Um, a couple announcements. First of all, I'm having, I'm um, hosting another webinar. I hosted a webinar a couple months ago, you know, testing the waters. I dug it, but this time it's just going to be me. Last time I was kind of being a, a host for the webinar, just like guiding questions between um, you guys and metabolic damage expert Matt Stone, who I thoroughly love. But this time it's just going to be me, and I'm going to be talking about how you can stop obsessing over food and exercise, a topic that we all want to know about, right? This is my favorite topic to discuss, is how we can stop obsessing over the recent diets, um, our meal plans, exercise routines, and um, all of this, all of the heavy topics that we talk about on this show, I'm going to be covering five ways you can stop obsessing over your food and exercise, five ways that you're not currently doing. So this podcast is going to be Thursday, June 11th at 7 p.m. MST. You have to sign up beforehand, and it's absolutely free. Go to Maddie, I'm sorry, MaddieMoon.com, M-A-D-D-Y, MaddieMoon.com, slash Stop Obsessing Webinar. And this will take you to a page where you can register by clicking Count Me In. So real quickly, you will, in this webinar, you will be learning my five strategies for ending any diet obsession. You'll figure out the number one reason you keep falling back into restrictive habits. You'll learn a simple but genius way to create more mental space. You'll discover why you keep using the size and shape of your body as a tool for coping with life. You'll hear the best piece of advice I've ever been given in regards to recovery. And you'll find out how I have been able to free myself from disordered eating and how I keep it up. So remember to sign up for this webinar. It is next Thursday, not this upcoming Thursday, but next Thursday at 7 p.m. 
MST. You guys, I'm super excited about this webinar. I'm hoping that it is fabulous. And if you don't want to, if you can't remember, stop obsessing, uh, maddiemoon.com slash stop obsessing webinar, then just go to the show notes for this podcast episode, which is maddiemoon.com slash mbm52, and the link to the webinar will be in there. Okay, the next thing I want to quickly let you guys know is that I'm on Snapchat. Um, really excited about this because I have so many beautiful, amazing women that I connect with that tell me, get on Snapchat, get on Snapchat. Well, I'm finally on it, and I think you should follow me because what I've been doing is taking little snapshots of my day-to-day life, and then at the very end of the day, you can see for just that day, my story is what it's called. I'm sure a lot of y'all are more tech-savvy with Snapchat than I am because I'm so new to it. But I just record all these snippets of what I'm doing. And if you follow me, then at the end of the day, you can see my entire story. So you'll know everything I pretty much did today. You'll even know who I'm having on the podcast before anybody else. Because I'll probably be showing you, like I did for this one, when I was recording with Isabel Fox and Duke. I told everyone that followed me on Snapchat, this is who I'm recording. So you can even find out. And sometimes I'm going to be asking questions like, who do you want to hear? Who do you want on the show? Um, what kind of questions do you want me to ask them, and you can just see what kind of food I'm eating and what kind of movement I'm doing and what book I'm reading. So I think it's really fun and it's a great way to follow what I'm doing and not just get to hear from me once a week, but to hear from me every single day and just to keep up to date. And on Snapchat, I am Mind Body Musings. So simple, easy to find me, and I look forward to sharing that part of my life with you. Last but not least, I have the review of the week. This one is a five-star review coming from Arden M, and she titled it Authentic and Uplifting. This podcast is awesome because Maddie isn't afraid to be vulnerable and opens up about her own experiences, both positive and negative. She also welcomes discussions about a wide variety of fascinating topics, which keeps things interesting. Thank you, Maddie, for taking the time to provide such great content. Thank you, Arden, so much for that review. It means a lot to me. These reviews are what keeps me going. Yeah. Okay, cool. That is the review of the week. If you want to be featured on my podcast with your review, leave leave one for me. Leave one and share what you like about the podcast. You can do that on iTunes by just typing in Mind Body Musings um, on the computer. Okay, are you ready for the show? Because I totally am ready for you to listen to it. We had an amazing conversation, so let's get started. Welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. The show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon, a former fitness model gone sane and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more insight on how to stop food and exercise from controlling your life, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. What have you been up to? Like, I think we talked kind of recently um, in the past, like, month about some stuff, just, like, what we're going on and working with. But tell me what you're up to. It's been a while. 
So, well, I'm I'm in the process of relaunching. Well, I'm going to be relaunching Stop Fading Food, the free video training series that I put on every year that um, is sort of an introduction to my work, which is to help women stop feeling crazy around food. Um, so that's going to be relaunching in September. So definitely working on that, as always. That's sort of the big, the big annual project. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to enjoy my summer to the best that I can. You know, I, you know, every entrepreneur needs to have like moments where they're actually chilling out and enjoying themselves in between big pushes. I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, I love that you said that because I think that's one of the biggest things that personally I struggle with. So I feel like if I'm struggling with it, other people out there trying to do their own thing are struggling with it because you like feel like since your nine to five days, like you're supposed to keep the same kind of grind going. But like what yeah. are what's the benefit of working for yourself if you don't, you know, get off path of the, the typical nine to five grind and like do your own kind of grind and like take the breaks that you need? Oh, 100%. And you know, it sounds funny because the thing is, in reality, when I'm going through a big work push as an entrepreneur, right? Like if I'm launching or I'm doing something big, I'm working a lot more than nine to five. You know, like Mm -hmm. I was going through periods, especially early on in my business when I was first getting started, that I was practically working around the clock. So it's a different, it's just an entirely different schedule. I don't work nine to five and then go home and rest. Sometimes I'm working like a maniac and other times I am chilling out and taking vacation. And it's just, it's just a different schedule, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so Stop Fighting Food. I love this program. I'll be having you back on the show, I'm sure, right, when it launches. Yeah. So we can talk, yeah. <laughs> we can talk a little bit more about that then. But today I kind of wanted to talk about something, like, I really want your insight on it. I really want your opinion on it. And um, I'm trying to wrap my head around this topic so that I'm, I feel more comfortable speaking about it because mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it's, it's a topic that is in the, the midst of changing in our culture. Okay. So now let me just explain what I'm talking about. Um, I read this post the other day. I read several posts about this. I kind of wrote one similar to it. And I, I wrote a post called um, like what happens when I stopped doing cardio or I stopped doing cardio and this happened. And I talked about how my body didn't really change. And hmm. like I was doing tons of cardio before I, I stopped and then my body was like pretty much the same as it's always been except I was less stressed out I was feeling better um I didn't like change in in size or anything my body found its homeostasis happy weight right uh-huh. and I read some other posts similar to this and in some of them um the people said you know they stopped doing certain things and they didn't get fat <laughs> so yeah. There are some people and and like I know I get I get the point of like saying something like that. It's like mm-hmm. I didn't get fat, you know, like I'm the same weight. Okay. Mm-hmm. On one side, I I feel like there's this all this talk about making fat a word where there's no like connotations underneath it. Like it's just mm-hmm. fat. It's not good, mm-hmm. it's not bad. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, it's like saying that you didn't get fat is still kind of like making it sound negative. So, is it a negative th- is it bad to say I didn't get fat when I did this or is that moving us towards not having these underlying connotations under the word fat do you get what I'm saying am I making well there's sense? there's two totally separate issues going on here right so basically the, when you say I stopped doing cardio and I didn't get fat or when one says I stopped doing xyz thing that was stressing me out about food and I didn't get fat what they're really saying is like oh weird like my body clearly just what they're really they're making a point about weight set point theory right so you and I both know about weight set point theory for those of you who are listening who are unclear about this term weight set point theory is 
something that people have known about for a really, really long time. Um, it's a pretty well-documented idea. Um, its weight is very complicated. Weight can change. There's a lot of sort of weird things involved in weight set point theory. But the basic idea between behind weight set point theory is that at any given time, your body actually has a weight that is sort of predetermined for it that it wants to be at, that it feels good. You called it your happy weight right? So Mm -hmm. at any given time, and your weight set point can change. And I think that that's um, complex for people, meaning like my weight set point at age 28 is not going to be the same as my weight set point at age 45 or my, or at age 60, right? Or whatever, when I get pregnant or, you know, your weight set point is not a fixed number. It's not like you are going to be 147 your whole life, just the way you're always going to have white skin and blue eyes. Um, it can fluctuate. So that's, you know, there's a lot of issues going on with weight set point theory that people debate about all the time. But the, the, the core idea is that at any given time, your body has a weight that it wants to be, that it's fighting to get to. It is biologically fighting to get that weight, right? So there are multiple chemical processes going on in your body at any, at any point in time, trying to get you to the weight that it wants to be at that particular point in your life for whatever reason. And if you're trying to fight that weight set point, there's a really good likelihood that you're going to lose in the long term. That is a losing battle. It is very, very difficult to fight your weight set point range. And I use the word range specifically because I realized I didn't make this completely clear. Your weight set point is not a weight. It's not like 147 or 132 or whatever. It's a range that generally constitutes, again, it can fluctuate from person to person. This isn't an exact measurement. Everyone's different, but generally somewhere along the lines of like 10 to 15% of your body weight, like up, you know, basically you're, you can fluctuate within easily. Um, so for example, if you're, um, you know, 150 pounds, your weight set point range could be like kind of anywhere within like, let's say 10 pounds up or down of that. And that's an, a range within uh, people can usually fluctuate pretty easily. It's pretty easy to bounce back up and down within your range. It's very hard to leave your range. Leaving your set point range is very challenging because your body doesn't want to do it. Your body is constantly fighting to be in the range that feels good for you, good for it, good for you, good for your body, right? So this is when, when people write about, oh my gosh, I stopped doing X and I didn't get fat. What they're really saying is when I, you know, didn't do this thing that I thought was supposed to create, that was supposed to control my weight, right? When I didn't engage in a weight controlling mechanism, my weight didn't change, that's that's what's going on. And that is a in my opinion a good thing for people to know. It's an interesting it's an interesting fact for people to know because really what it is is myth busting. It's it's letting people in on the secret like, "Oh hey, guess what? Weight is not just a simple function of like calories in, calories out. Weight is not just a simple function of like, oh, I'll just eat less and exercise more and I'll get to control my body." Unfortunately, most of us do not get to control our bodies, particularly in the long term. Like your body is actively fighting to be a specific weight that's not generally in your control. Again, within this specific range, whatever your weight set point range is. And if you're fighting against that, guess what? You're going to be miserable, you're going to be frustrated, and you're most likely going to lose in the long run. So that's, that's one, that is a good thing for people to know because right now people are being sold by weight loss professionals, by whatever, right? People are being sold this idea that, that humans have full control of their weight, 
that humans are capable of just making their bodies be whatever the hell they want them to be, right? Like that, that, that I have the ability to literally just, you know, invent my perfect body in my head. And all I have to do is, you know, X, Y, and Z, eat this and that, work out this and that way. And I, through willpower, will be able to create that. And that's the idea that we're sold every day in and out. And that is a very dangerous idea because it leads people. And this is why, you know, women are so screwed up around food and all of these other problems are being created in our, you know, quote, diet culture is we are we think that we're failures if we can't do that when the reality of the situation is, is most people can't. It's a myth. The idea that you can invent what you want to look like and make yourself get there is a total effing myth. It doesn't make it's not a scientific reality for most people. Okay. So that is great news for people to know. I mean, people might have different emotional reactions to that, right? Like some people be like, oh, no, oh my gosh, like I want to be able, you know, most people wish that they can, could control their weight, right? So people, it's not, not everyone hears that and thinks it's good news. I think it's good news for people to know that because it's basically calling out the diet industry on lying to everyone um, about what's possible and what's not, right? So I think that it's, I personally think that it's, it's, healthful and a good thing for people to start grappling with and start sort of um, emotionally dealing with. And, and I think that there's almost a certain level of like healthful, not ang anger, but sort of healthful understanding of like, oh, I'm being sold a lie. Um, and it's not my fault that I can't, you know, force myself down to whatever weight I'm being told that I should look like. Um, and so that's great news. Now, the way that it's phrased the I didn't do cardio, you know, I stopped doing cardio and I didn't get fat. That is that phrasing of the sentiment, which is really just a sentiment being like, oh, my body has a has a fixed general set point weight that it generally likes to be regardless of what I do. That phrasing is problematic because that phrasing talks about what is essentially weight set point theory, which is a healthful, important thing for people to understand. It talks about it in a in a fat shaming way, basically. Mm -hmm. It talks about it from the framework of thin is good, fat is bad. And so it's, it's really what they're saying, the, the basic, the idea behind what, what these women are talking about is, is good information for people to have, right? Like that's, we should all be told the truth, which is that we are not fully in control of our weight, that our body kind of generally is fighting to be a certain weight regardless of what we do for the most part. And again, there's all sorts of exceptions. Obviously, extreme behaviors can temporarily get us out of our set point weight, whatever. But, but for the most part, it's good information for people to know that weight point, the basic concepts behind weight set point theory, the way that it's being phrased of like, oh my gosh, like, thank God, like, I don't have to do any of these things and I still won't look like so-and-so over there who's fat and disgusting and a slob and blah, 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 blah. That's what's problematic because some people on the flip side, no matter what they do, are going to be fat, right? Some people on the flip side are going to be whatever weight that they are, right? I mean, body diversity is real. Some people are going to be bigger. Some people are going to be thinner. And if we're phrasing everything as like thin is good, fat is bad, that's that's discriminatory. It's problematic. Okay, right? real real quickly. Yeah. What if they what if they just say get fat and they don't say anything else? Like, there's no other like context clues that that's a negative thing. They're just stating the fact. Well, I I personally don't have a problem with the word fat. 
Um, fat is a word that's being reclaimed by, by a lot of body image activists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So this is a political contentious word, kind of like the way queer was reclaimed by the gay community. Right. So like queer was like a negative term for so long. And then the gay community reclaimed it. They were like, yes, like I am queer. What you going to do about it? Like, Mm -hmm. why is that a fucking problem? You know? And so fat is a word that's also being reclaimed by body image activists. It's still considered very radical. Like I still have to explain this to all of my clients when I talk to them about it. But basically when a lot of body image activists, you know, particularly like when we talk about, you know, one of the more easier to swallow phrases that people use will be like, oh, like plus sized women, right? They're reclaiming the word fat as like, this is just a description of the way I look. I have more fat on my body than a thinner woman does, right? I have more fat on my body than like a straight-sized model does or a straight-sized who's a woman who's shopping in straight-sized clothing store does. That's just descriptive. I'm not going to not use the word fat to describe myself because I don't think fat is bad. And by reclaiming the word fat, by using the word fat in a neutral way, in a positive way, is just a description, like I'm a brunette and I'm tall, that are, by, by using fat in that way, I'm actually changing the meaning of the word fat from being something that's negative to simply just being something that's descriptive. So this is really hard for people to swallow because so many people, when they hear the word fat, freak out. Like I remember I got some photos taken um, and uh, the other day and, you know, I had this gorgeous stylist, gorgeous hair and makeup. I mean, you know, I looked, I was putting a lot of money into looking the absolute best that I possibly could for my photo shoot. And I was on the phone with my mom and I was like, oh my gosh, mom, I swear to God, I look like a plus size model. It's incredible. And she was like, Isabel, you do not look like a plus size model. Like she was so freaked out that I called myself a plus size model. But I was literally calling myself that like in the most positive way possible. Like I was like, oh my God, I think plus size models are effing hot. I look up to plus size models, you know. And again, that's cultural. Like my mom's cultural, probably most of you listening are going to, you know, not side with my mom, but understand where my mom's coming from. Like, oh my gosh, I don't want to look like a plus size model. Mm -hmm. But for me, I've had a totally different like sort of cultural revolution in my mind where I'm like, to look like a plus size model is pretty great like that means that I'm like like curvy and gorgeous and my hair is perfect and whatever you know like I I have a very different idea for me looking like a plus size model is basically about like as hot as it gets um so that was a compliment I was self-complimenting I wasn't being self-degrading at all when I said that but my mother assumed that I was because in her mind the word plus size is bad So for the most part, are you pretty aware whenever you're talking and doing other podcasts and writing that the rest of the our world is not really up to date on this? Or are you putting it out there and hoping people will pick up on the reclaiming of the word? Um, I generally I I, I, I will more than willing to explain it to people. Like I am conscientious of the fact that people are uncomfortable with the word fat, that people immediately assume it is a critical thing to say or a criticism and that people, people need to understand the concept behind reclamation and reclamation of words, just the way people needed to understand why queer is no longer a bad word because it's been reclaimed by the, by the queer community. Right. And so I similarly am um, understanding that that's really an education, right? That's something that you have to learn, right? Like that's something that people need to 
be taught to some extent. So I'm, I'm sensitive to that. And I love teaching people about reclaiming the word fat because it makes them think about fat in a different way. The whole point of reclaiming the word fat is to, is to challenge the idea that fat is bad. That is the whole function of that, of that um, political act, right, of word reclamation. So I um, do use the word fat, right? Like I will say fat women, thin women generally to describe like, you know, straight size versus plus size women, which is, which is um, uh, pretty typical amongst body image activists. That's sort of how many of them and many of my peers in the space refer to um, words like plus size, you know, sort of women of different body types who have you know, different lifestyle experiences because of their size, and that's very real. And and instead of sort of skirting around the issue and coming up with sort of euphemisms like, um, like oh, she's just you know a little heavier or whatever. Um, you know, there's a big movement right now in the body image activist community to just use the words fat and thin and not skirt around the word fat because in skirting around the word fat, we're we are implying that it's bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so first of all, I freaking love listening to you. Like, you are so passionate and it comes across so well. I just feel like I'm in, like, I don't even know, like, paradise listening to your talking because you're so passionate about it. You speak so well. I love it so much. This brings me to my next point, um, kind of on this topic. When people, okay, so one thing that I, I experience a lot with people that come to me is a huge, the, a really big factor for for people and throwing them back into the cycle is other people, family members, friends commenting on their weights, what, whatever it may be, weight loss, weight gain, mm-hmm. people seem to really feel like they have the right to point out those things. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, so this, there's, uh, I know there's several things we can talk about in regards to this. So it's like, you know, how do we influence people to stop doing that? But also like, I personally have taken on the new perspective within my myself that I don't want to set out every day hoping to change people. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of me hopes this podcast is doing that. I mean, a huge part of me is hoping that, but mm-hmm. I don't want that to make my mission. I kind of want my new mission to kind of be on the inside so where I every single day I know I have the opportunity to make happiness a choice Mm -hmm. and that's something that I want to help my clients do and help my friends to be able to carry on that happiness throughout their day regardless Mm -hmm. of what people say about their bodies with that said Mm -hmm. that is not super easy of course that's not super easy for people that are close to you to make comments about your weight and this got me thinking just like when you are talking with someone and, you know, it's a stranger or it's someone you just met and they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, I've gone through so much in my life. I used to be so, so, so overweight. I lost 150 pounds. Immediately, you want to say something like, congrats. Well, do, yeah. do you do that or do you recommend people don't because they're they're happy that they accomplish something so big. So mm-hmm. part of me wants to say congrats. And then the other part is like, oh, no, I don't want to contribute to that cycle of like, wow, you lost weight. You look good. Good job. You know, like that cycle in their head. So what do you say to that? Yeah. So I I generally say something to the effect of you always looked beautiful to me. You know, or something to the effect of like, you were gorgeous then and you're gorgeous now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't think that, um, you know, obviously I'm not going, I'm not going to put someone down who feels good about themselves for whatever reason. That's not my job. 
And like you say, there is a time and a place for activism. There's a time and a place for education. Um, and one of the primary requirements is that people need to be open to it. And I would say that somebody who's just lost a bunch of weight is probably not in a place to be super open to it. But I also agree. I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny my own value system by somehow participating into this like congratulatory, um, culture, I guess, or, you know, congratulatory activity and of sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, like circle jerking the weight loss attempts, you know? So I, um, for me, like that's sort of the way I play it is just sort of like, you know what, like you're beautiful at the size you are now. You are beautiful at the size you were then. Like you are beautiful regardless of your size. And that, and that's all there is to it. You know, I'm not going to, you are not more beautiful because you lost weight. You are not less beautiful. If you gain it back, you are by virtue of the fact that you are a human being and a person that, you know, ideally this is someone I care about or someone that I love, right? Mm -hmm. By virtue of the fact that you are a person that I love, like you are beautiful to me and whatever you want to do is your choice, right? My friend Reagan Chastain calls it the underpants rule. She says people are allowed to try to lose weight. People are allowed to do whatever the hell they want to do. It's their life, not mine. So I'm not going to judge anyone's attempts at whatever they want to do. Um, but I am also going to, I'm not going to lie and, and I'm not going to imply that I somehow find them more attractive now that they've lost weight because I don't believe that. Yeah. It's about going deeper and like really uncovering the reasons why they did that in the first place, because I'm sure if someone was, you know, had a lot of weight on their body and it was keeping them inside and not feeling confident and not exploring, um, love and just depressed, that weight loss might have led to just a better attitude or more going outside, more socializing and all those other beautiful things that you can talk about instead of the appearance change. Cause it's not about the appearance change and you never want these people to think that, you know, the, the big change came in the weight loss. It came in the life, the quality of life. Potentially. But I would also hesitate to, you know, I would also beg the point that just because someone loses weight does not necessarily mean they are going to feel better emotionally totally. and start going outside and doing that. Totally. So I wouldn't make, so, you know, it's not my place to make that assumption either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So on that topic, what I was talking about before, when other people are saying comments about your weight, like, what do you do when you are that person, when you're on the other side and people, you're not asking for it, you're not sharing your story, people are just saying stuff about your weight. There's one, you know, one thing that I know you highly recommend that I love is like, really just changing your mindset about, you know, when people say, oh, you gained weight, it doesn't really affect you because you're looking at other bodies on Instagram, you're looking at uh, plus size models, you're, you, you don't, like, you're desensitizing yourself to the mm -hmm. weight changes and, and the way that our world views weight. What are mm -hmm. other ways? Like, how else do you just, like, harden up to those kind of comments? Or what's your advice for people that, you know, just can't seem to escape family members who are constantly talking about their size and shape? So, I mean, this is such a huge topic. So, so first off, I mean, there's always a place to actually set up a verbal boundary with somebody and, and tell a family member if it's really getting out of control, like, hey, I am not going to engage with you on this topic. You know, my weight is not a topic for conversation. If you bring it up again, I'm going to walk away from the table. You know, like that's always an option. You are, if something is really bothering you and you don't feel like you're in a place to 
basically withstand oppressive comments or judgmental or discriminatory comments without it upsetting your, you know, your, your mental health which, by the way, is totally valid and totally makes sense to me. You know, you are first and foremost allowed to set up a verbal boundary with somebody and, you know, make a request for your needs to be met. That being said, I do think that there are often times when family members are really not even necessarily super in control of their own comments because they are so brainwashed and they are so clouded by their own belief systems about weight that they can they are going to make weight discriminatory slash fat phobic slash whatever you want to call it they're going to make those comments and they don't even necessarily see why that would be upsetting or why it's wrong they don't even really understand what they're doing because they're so clouded by their own bias and their own belief system and there are of course situations where i think you know personally like there are people in my family who fall into that category who are going to just make those comments because they literally do not know better. And I am not, I'm clear that I'm not capable of teaching them. Like I'm not capable of forcing them to understand what they're doing. And I'm not also, I'm, I'm clear with myself. Like there are certain people in my family who I am not going to cut them out of my life because of that. I'm going to just sort of deal with it on my own terms emotionally. And I'm going to get to that in a second. There are friends, obviously, in my life who are making those comments who I've let go, right? There are people in my life who are sort of like weight discriminatory people or diet culture people who are just all up, you know, in the grill of weight loss, weight loss, weight loss, diet, diet, diet. And some of them I have let go from my life. But there are others who I am not willing to let go because of that. And they are also certainly not going to change. I think the immediate family members are usually the most obvious example of that, right? Like I often have clients say to myself, you know, my mother makes these comments. I ask her to stop. She doesn't. Probably the reason that she doesn't stop is because she's not even fully aware of what she's doing. But she's my mother and I'm not going to, I'm not going to not speak to my mother. I'm not going to not have a relationship with my mother. And at this point, the fighting about it with her is fruitless. It's pointless. So I need to come up with a way to deal with it, to protect myself, and basically like learn how to separate my belief system from hers. Like I need to be able to like, if she makes a you know an ignorant comment about weight or dieting, I need to be able to separate. Like I need to basically train myself and and learn how to separate myself from it the best I can if I want to have a relationship with her. Which again is each individual's choice, right? You choose who you want to be in relationship with and who you don't. Um, But if you choose like, yep, this person's making ignorant comments, but these ignorant comments are not worth me ending this relationship for whatever reason, then the only other, the only kind of option that you're left with is, okay, I need to figure out how to protect myself emotionally in light of these comments. Um, By doing things like changing your own brain, Right. So when my mother makes, you know, like a comment about dieting or a comment about weight or whatever, you know, or if some anyone in my family were to make a uh, sort of weight discriminatory or like diet culture remark, you know, my job is to remember what my value system is and to remember that I'm not them. I don't agree with them. Just like if I were, you know, I often tell my, it's, it's, it's kind of like I see it the way I, I see politics, right? Like if my mom, if I were a Democrat and my mom were a Republican, I'm just making this up, right? If I were a Democrat, my mom were a Republican and she started, you know, 
going on and on about whatever it is, like neoliberalism or like, you know, taxes or blah, 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 blah. And I didn't agree, but I didn't want to get into a fight with her about it because like that's a pointless, fruitless argument, you know, like there's no, you know, then I, and I've probably tried to talk about it with her before and it didn't go anywhere. We ended up just fighting. I'm just going to let those comments roll off my back because at the end of the day, I simply disagree with her. We have a different belief system. I don't believe the same things that she believes. And I think that we can we can do a similar thing with weight in the sense of like if somebody were to make a um, a comment that I disagreed with wholeheartedly, I don't necessarily need to take it personally. I can just disagree with it. Um, another example of this would be like if somebody were to make a bigoted comment or an ignorant comment in any way, whether that be about like race or gender or sexuality or whatever, um, it would be, of course, it would be upsetting to me in the sense of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, that person, that, that that still exists. It saddens me. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to, I don't agree with that comment. I don't agree with what's being said. And I feel firm and steadfast in my, in my belief system around that. So I, to the best of my ability, I'm not going to take it personally because I don't, believe in what they're saying. I don't agree with what they're saying. And the degree to which we can hold that for ourselves and really kind of not take those comments personally because they are just simply a different belief system than ours. I simply do not agree with you. I have a different belief system. Really is about the degree to which we practice our new belief systems and how firmly rooted we are in our new belief systems, right? If there's still a part of me that thinks thin is good and fat is bad, if there's still a part of me that agrees with that person that's being critical of my weight or whatever it is, that's what's going to make it a lot harder. It's a lot harder to not take personally something that you secretly still agree with. Mm -hmm. And so that's in my, you know, I think that that's where a lot of the work comes on that end is, really just be taking responsibility for changing our own beliefs, which can be done through things like looking at plus size models on Instagram, reading body positive literature, surrounding ourselves by people who share our value system, right? Changing our culture, changing our environment, challenging old negative beliefs, challenging biases. The degree to which we do that work is the degree to which we're going to have strength in the face of someone saying the opposite. Right. Like if somebody said to me, like being gay is wrong, I'd just be like, you're a crazy person. Like, I just fully don't agree with you. It's not I, I, it, I don't even hear that as real because I just so hard. I just disagree with you so much. Right. Whereas like I think it wasn't so long ago that if somebody said like um, being fat is bad. I would be like, yeah, you're right. I would have agreed with them. And now I'm starting to not agree with them. And the more I learn and train myself and challenge my own biases around weight, the more it's easier for me actually to interact with the people who have the fat is bad attitude because I'm so firm in my belief system that weight is a value neutral thing. Yeah, this really reminds me of something I heard the other day on the Being Bot Being Boss podcast. Mm-hmm. She was saying that when people like come out and argue with her about anything in particular or just disagree with her, it's kind of like saying the grass is hot pink. And like you yeah. can just you can just kind of roll your eyes and be like, oh okay, like you know the grass is not big, okay, because you know that's not true. Exactly. Like Vir- my friend Virgie Tovar, she basically was like, when people make weight biased 
you know, comments or weight, you know, like sort of fat shaming comments or whatever it is. It's kind of like you have to look at those people the same way you would look at somebody who is like, yeah, you know, women aren't as smart as men. It's like, okay, (laughs) like, it's just so ridiculous. I just don't even, it doesn't even offend me. If somebody like looked me in the face and said women aren't as smart as men, I would just think they're an asshole. I wouldn't like go crying thinking, oh my God, I'm dumb. Right. Yeah. So it's the same thing. And I think that, and it's because my belief system about women being just as equally smart as men is so firmly rooted in me, right? And my belief system about weight being a value neutral uh, characteristic is is becoming that stronger and stronger and stronger every single day as I do this work, that it's starting to become as strong as my belief that women are as smart as men. My belief that weight and thin, that, that thin and fat are like morally equal or like, you know, value equal is becoming every day, that belief is becoming every day as strong as my belief that women are as smart as men. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I truly do think that talking about these things more and more, instead of just letting them fester on the inside and think about them by yourself is another key that's helped me a lot. And just having these kind of conversations, whether it be on my podcast or offline with my friends, and mm-hmm. just really talking about like this this weight and like writing about it and writing about these issues going on and how I'm personally feeling about it and journaling about it. It just like being able to read it and to hear the conversations back have helped me tremendously just because it confirms like the people I look up to are saying this. The people I look up to people who only promote this. I no longer read the magazines that say anything different. I no longer watch the news about anything necessarily Mm -hmm. like because I know what's coming. I know what's coming on a commercial or what's coming on um, the seasons like bikini body workouts and stuff like I just don't choose to fill my mind with that information Mm -hmm. and I fill it with other stuff instead. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think that's really that's really good for, for that topic. The other half that I want to talk about in this podcast is something you wrote about in a newsletter. Mm-hmm. that I thought was really interesting, um, emotional deprivation in regards mm-hmm. to foods. Can you talk a little bit about the physical and emotional like deprivation that you, you wrote about? Yeah, absolutely. This is one of my favorite topics. This is like a big, big key distinguishing factor between me and I think a lot of other emotional eating coaches. This is one of my biggest contributions, I think, to the field is this idea of emotional deprivation and how emotional deprivation is – just as if not more damaging than physical deprivation. So I'm just going to back up for a second and explain what each of these means. So most people understand that deprivation leads to binge eating, right? Most people understand if I deprive myself, I'm going to binge eat it later, binge, you know, binge eat it later. That's a common idea. That's a commonly held belief in the field, right? And so most people define restriction by I'm not letting myself eat something. I'm not letting myself eat you know, sugar, I'm not letting myself eat flour, I'm not letting myself eat this amount of food, whatever it is, physical restrictions around food, it is pretty well documented that physical restrictions around food lead to binge eating. Now, what I make the argument of and what I see every day with all of my clients pretty much no matter what is that it's really not just physical restrictions around food that lead to binge eating, it's emotional restrictions around food, which basically means we are not emotionally allowing ourselves to have food, have those particular foods that we think are wrong or bad, right? So I could be eating a tin full of cupcakes, I could be, you know, 
physically allowing, meaning putting the cupcakes in my mouth. But if I'm not emotionally allowing it, if I'm feeling judgment about that action, if I'm feeling ashamed of my behaviors around those cupcakes, if I'm not emotionally okay with my decision to eat cupcakes, I am probably going to eat the whole effing tin because I'm still going to be in an emotional state of deprivation. I'm still going to be feeling, I'm not going to be enjoying that cupcake. I'm not going to be you know, emotionally allowing the experience of having that cupcake. It's going to be like that cupcake didn't even happen because I didn't even enjoy the cupcake because I was so stressed out about how fat I thought it was making my ass. right? And so that is, um, uh, emotional allowance has many different components, but that's sort of like the basic idea. Now, the other thing behind emotional deprivation or emotional restrictions and why it's problematic is that when I eat a cupcake and I tell myself, oh my gosh, this is wrong, I shouldn't be doing this, I'm judging myself for it, I'm shaming myself for it, right? I am emotionally restricting that cupcake, in quotes. When I emotionally restrict that cupcake, the implication, right? What is implied in my telling myself that eating cupcakes is wrong is that I shouldn't do it tomorrow. That's the underlying implication, right? If you're telling yourself that what you're doing is wrong, the implication is I won't do this tomorrow. And one thing we know about binge eating, right? The most classic form of the diet binge cycle is I won't do it. I'll screw it. I broke my diet. You know, I'll eat everything that I can get my hands on today because the diet starts tomorrow, right? Like we talk about this a lot in binge eating language. Like, you know, the classic way that people end up binge eating is that they fall off the wagon. They say, screw it, you know, F it. I fell off the wagon. I might as well eat everything I can. Might as well stuff myself silly, eat all of these cupcakes tonight, and then tomorrow I'll be good. And so you don't even necessarily have to have that conscious thought in order to be in that pattern. If you're eating cupcakes and you think you shouldn't be doing it and you're nervous and you think it's wrong, it's bad, I'm ashamed of eating these cupcakes, the implication is I won't do it tomorrow, which basically is putting you in that same diet binge mentality of diet starts tomorrow, better get it in now. So the emotional restriction piece is actually really huge. It's, in my opinion, 90% of the problem. I actually think physical restrictions, you know, assuming that you're eating enough food and getting the nutrients you need, there are tons of people who put physical restrictions on themselves who don't binge, right? Think about gluten intolerant people. Think about vegans, like ethical vegans. There's all sorts of people who have physical restrictions on their food who don't binge eat, who don't completely lose their shit and feel crazy around food. What is the difference between them and the casual dieter who can't, or, or the very extreme dieter on the other side who can't keep it together? The difference is the emotional restriction. It's the emotional deprivation. It's the shame. It's the judgment. It's the feeling wrong for having eaten something. That's way more problematic than physical restrictions I think could ever be, again, assuming that you are still getting the nutrients you need and not starving yourself. And when you have emotional um, deprivation in regards to your food choices, does that eventually carry on over into others li other life choices like throughout your day? Like you can't just have emotional deprivation in regards to what's on your plate, but there's mm. also other things going on in your life that you kind of carry that action over. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of like that Janine Roth axiom, you know, how you eat is just a mirror for how you live. Um, and so I would say, yeah, like if a person's running around having like lots of shame and judgment around their food, is it also very possible that they're having shame and judgment in area, other areas of their life? Yeah, probably. I mean, to be honest, I think that shame and self-judgment and self-criticism are, is a, is a cultural problem that 
has nothing really to do with food. I mean, people who have no food issues at all are running around with a lot of shame and judgment. That's why Brene Brown has such a you know intense, thriving career. That's why she's crushing it on Oprah, is because she's one of the few people out there talking about shame, which is, in my opinion, probably the greatest American mental health epidemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, personally, I think that my shame muscle was strengthened with, with my dieting habits. And like, yeah. I, I think that... It was always kind of there underlying because I did want to be um, a perfect kid. I did want to be excellent in everything I did. And, mm-hmm. you know, messing up with diets or messing up with my weight really just strengthened how much I felt the shame. And I carried that over. And the first thing that pops in my head is relationships. A lot of times in my relationships, I would just feel embarrassed for having feelings and I would feel shameful because I didn't want to be that whining girlfriend or I didn't want to be that nagging like dramatic teenager or whatever and I felt shame for almost all my emotions and that really blocked me off mentally from Mm -hmm. opening myself up to love in Mm -hmm. in like my relationship with my boyfriend and like I didn't want to open up to love because who knows like what's going to happen, what I'm going to do wrong in the future, what I'm going to feel shameful for, which is why I ran over to my diet and my scale mm-hmm. and like got my shame out there and avoided all situations that yeah. I possibly could in regards to that. Well, what's going on with the food and dieting and I think why shame-based people, which by the way, most of us are dealing with shame. We live in a very shame-based culture, particularly in America, but obviously various other you know countries around the world would fall into this category as well. Um, the, one of the reasons I think, you know, so many women in particular who are living in the shame-based culture end up becoming obsessed with food and dieting is because we think that we can outsmart shame by becoming thinner. We think that we can outsmart a lot of our problems by becoming thinner. We basically think that we can control the universe by becoming thinner. For women in particular, weight, I think, is one of the only... Changing our bodies and changing our appearance, I think, is one of the, one of the primary ways in which we're trained that we you know, believe that we have social mobility, right? So social mobility, meaning like we can change our social status. We can change the amount of like, love and adoration we think we can get by changing our bodies. That's what we believe. We believe, for men, that's also true that I think that there's social status attached to bodies, but men, I think, you know, things like money maybe is is a bigger one for men than it is for women. And for women, it might be a little bit bigger with bodies than it is with money, you know, whatever. It's, it's an unclear, unscientific ratio, just throwing out that theory. But the point is, weight, particularly for women, holds a lot of social status attached to it. And because there's so much social status attached to weight, and it's one of the few things that I think women and feel like, oh my gosh, if I lost weight, my whole life would change. You know, different men would want to be, would be attracted to me. Different people, you know, people will respect me more. I'll be able to wear different clothes and then that will make people respect me more, right? There's just so much social status attached to weight. And because of that, we, we, we tend to really, le- it's easy to get addicted to wanting to change our weight. It's easy to get addicted to dieting and attempts at weight control because we think that by controlling our weight, by controlling our food, we can essentially control everything else that's going on in our lives. We can control how people think of us. We can control whether or not we have all of these various different social outcomes in our life. And everything is social. Everything we care about is social. How well we do at our jobs is social. How well we do in our relationships is social. We are social creatures. So 
anything that we believe that we can change that we think will significantly impact our social status is something that's a very slippery slope. That's why, you know, money and weight are, are, are really interesting. The relationship between money and weight are really interesting. But I would say for women, weight is like an even higher, um, it, it's an even bigger deal as far as like, we think that changing our weight is a way of, of socially mobilizing, right? Changing our social status. For men, I think weight, it falls into that category as well. I think body is increasingly a form of social status for men. But, you know, for men, also things like money. For women, things like money, too. All of these things. I'm just giving examples. Um, but, yeah, so, it, I mean, I think that that's personally when things feel like, you know, out of out of control, right, in our lives, right? Like, I'm not sure how my boyfriend's going to feel about me. God forbid my boyfriend judge me. God forbid he finds out who I really am. God forbid whatever, right? People learn all these things about me. I can somehow control how people feel about me by getting thinner. That's the belief that keeps us, in my opinion, in really dysfunctional relationships with food. Right, exactly. And we have these coping mechanisms that we keep going to time after time to bring that relief. And I remember talking to you about this once when we were offline on a phone call about how when I was still struggling with a lot of my disordered eating habits, it was always because it was a coping mechanism. Like it just brought me that instant, satisfying, but very fleeting sense of relief and comfort. Like I was, yeah. I had this control. Well, a sense I of control. control. It, it gave you a exactly. It had a sense. It gave you a sense of. It gave you a false delusion that you were in control, right. which is the ultimate panacea. It's like the ultimate pain reliever. It's the ultimate coping mechanism. Like in a world, we generally need coping mechanisms when we feel fear, when we feel out of control, when we feel uncertain. That's when people tend to need to cope when they feel scared, right? And so there's nothing that will cure feeling scared temporarily faster than like a false myth of control or a delusion that we actually do have control, which is what dieting does. Dieting is the delusion of control. Now, the reason it doesn't work is because it doesn't actually control anything. We can basically, we have a very challenging time as humans controlling our weight in the long run. That is not a sustainable form of control. And even if we did have control of our weights, we can't actually really control how people feel about us with our weights. That is also a myth. So it's like a double whammy of delusional thinking. Um, but in our minds, temporarily, we think, oh, I stuck to my diet today. I'm going to get thinner. I'm on my way. I got this. It's, uh, it's handled. My life is under control. My life is handleable. And that is a total, um, I mean, that is just an incredibly powerful anti-anxiety medication temporarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I think that is a wonderful place to wrap this up. Um, I could literally talk to you for forever, but <laughs> I I want to do something new. I want to do a quick fire round of questions because I've heard quite a few other podcasters do this and I think it's so fun, but I never do it. So I'm gonna do it with you. All right. Um, anything before we go through this quick fire round that you would like to share? I think well, that was good. That was a really fun conversation. I always love chatting with you. Woo! Okay, yeah. awesome. All right, so there's just a couple questions here. Just say whatever pops to your mind first. Okay, and here we go. If you were to have a last meal, what would it be? Probably some sort of pasta with meat sauce. What is your favorite book? Ooh, um, that is a great question. My favorite book is, 
Well, right now I'm really I'm reading a really interesting book called Diet Land. I don't think it's my favorite book in the world, but it's just what I'm reading right now, so it's popping into my head. I think favorite book is too overwhelming a question, but <laughs> Diet Land is super interesting because it's a fictional piece. Um, it's a piece of fiction basically that like calls out all of these crazy things about um, dieting, and essentially it's like sort of like the sci-fi thriller about weight. It's really fascinating. I'm just really interested in like a book that has sort of a um, you know a fat female heroine. So, but anyway, that that that's one that's coming to me right now. Not probably my favorite of all time, but something that's coming up for me right now. Okay, that sounds really good. I'm gonna have to look into that because I'm currently not reading anything, and I'll make sure that I include the show note link to this. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um. Fa- okay. Not favorite. I'm already learning. See, you're teaching me so much. I can't say favorite. What is a fruit that you love? Ooh, grapefruit. Grapefruit. Okay. Uh, band. Ooh. Um. God, band. Uh, band is hard. I listen to a lot of hip hop lately, so I feel like hip. Like I'm like super obsessed with Big Sean's new album. So that's not a band, mm-hmm. but that's what I'm listening to right now. Um, animal. Zebra. Color. Purple. City. New York. Okay, and the last one, um, what is one of your go-to ways to de-stress at the end of a long day? Um, Pole dancing or like some sort of like (laughs) dancing in my mirror. Yeah, some sort of booty shaking. Got a booty shake, preferably to hip hop. Um, But yeah, preferably to Big Sean. Okay, this makes me so happy because I don't know if you, I don't know if you listened to the episode I just did with um, Kyla Prinz on how to transform your mindset around exercise, but you have to listen to it because half of it we talk about pole dancing, <laughs> and oh my God. I know that she, you know she was really into it. I saw that you did it, and I decided to give it a shot, and. I had more fun than I've had in a long time. And last week I went to this class called um, The Art of Sensual Movement. <laughs> and we were doing all of this like booty shaking and like just dancing all over the place and so out of my comfort zone. But literally the most fun thing that I think I have done in like a year because huh. I, I was just I was smiling so big. I That's felt amazing. so like out of my comfort zone. But it was so much fun and it was just hip-hop music and it was a whole bunch of girls and it was just such a body positive place and oh it's incredible I call pole dancing body image boot camp like it is the probably one of the more powerful things I've ever done for my personal body image um I think pole dancing has changed my life it like I mean it's connected me so much to my sexuality it's just made me so much more confident outside of my body like I just feel like more um and this is controversial right but you know there's lots of different like gender is such a complicated thing but like for anyone who's really interested in exploring their like feminine side and that could be for men or women right pole dancing is incredible incredibly powerful way to do that um and yeah i'm just i'm i'm very very thrilled to have discovered pole dancing and i'm so jealous of kayla because kayla does she's really hardcore about it you know like multiple times a week and she's getting so good and i'm obsessed with all of her instagrams about it she was actually somebody who inspired me to do it i started looking her instagrams and i was like damn i need to get into this but you know i'd heard about pole dancing from friends people were just saying, you know, this is something you want to do. If you want to like really, really get into your body and really start living from a body center place, that's another magical benefit of pole dancing. I mean, the, the benefits just pile up and pile up. Another magical benefit of pole dancing is it's so, you get so into your body because, and especially at the studio where I go, it's like very free form and like we really get to 
you know, you feel your body in a different way. And I mean, I think just for connecting with my intuition, connecting with what my, my body's needs are with food or anything else. Oh, I just, I'm obsessed. Like, I just feel like, I feel like pole dancing is a spiritual practice for me. Yes, yes, 100%. Like the whole feminine thing, I can completely relate to it because, you know, what I was saying in that podcast episode I did with her is that for the past like six years, I've been clinging to these masculine activities, like because Uh it fuels that masculine side of me, because I'm so Uh terrified of the feminine side. And and uh-huh. I, 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 like recently, I've I decided for the for like the first time in years that I'm not into weightlifting right now. I don't know if oh. I will be again, but oh. right now it is not working for me. So, uh-huh. you know, watching pole her, dance, baby, pole dance. Right. I was like, I still want to move my body because I love moving my body and I love activity. So I want to try this out and see how it, it, because it'll it'll kill two birds with one stone, right? It'll like get uh-huh. me to like be in my body, but I will also be more in touch with my feminine side. And I don't know if it's because like I'm in a relationship now and I'm just like wanting to fill like I have this out of the blue desire to fill that part of myself this feminine side I'm like I'm gonna try this and I seriously I mean I'm wearing just you know I've always been like in the gym not always I'll say but I still have that side of me that's like oh I don't want to wear like this outfit or this outfit what are people gonna think about me I'm I wish I didn't think that way but I still kind of do because of the atmosphere I was in because I was in a place that was promoting wearing certain clothing and status and being inside of pole dancing has like mm-hmm. really made me not care or give a crap what I'm wearing because I'm just trying to get up that pole gracefully <laughs> and and like I'm just not caring what other people think and the beautiful thing is no one else cares everyone just wants to have fun be feminine and be in their body and it's beautiful well, and that's what I mean. I effing love about pole dancing is like you know at my studio, and I think Kayla's studio. It sounds like is the same way. Like we'll go, and there will be women of you know ranging from a hundred pounds to like two seventy five in there, all exploring their sexuality, all feeling sexy in their bodies, all like doing all of these things that people really connect to only a very specific body size, and that people think are relegated only to the thin, and. Pole dancing kind of proves that like sexuality, femininity, all of these things that we really associate with thinness are really for anyone who wants it or really for any person, any human body that wants it. Even male gendered body, you know, even male sex bodies potentially. So um, it's really interesting to be seeing that. And I, and I think, you know, again, I, it depends on the studio you go to. But I think that it's my impression is that culturally pole dancing is something that is very inclusive um, of different body shapes and sizes. And um, it's, it's been a total game changer for me as far as like how I view my own body, my own um, appealing to my feminine side. I honor my masculine side as well, but certainly my feminine side is something that I'm, is a, is a muscle that I'm stretching right now. And, um, I'm excited to, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I'm digging it. I'm really digging it. I'm learning a lot about myself. Awesome. So beautiful. Okay. Everyone go try it out. Um, it's so much fun. And Isabel, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Couldn't agree more. Hope to talk to you again soon. Yes, definitely. See you later, girl. Bye.